Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, the message this morning is coming from verses 24 to 30 and verses 36 to 43. We're continuing in the series on kingdom parables. This is the second parable in this series. We won't be going through all the parables, by the way, um, but this one is particularly relevant this morning. Beginning in verse 24, Jesus is speaking. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now verse 36. Then he left the crowds, Jesus left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. You know, several years ago, I was coaching a team, and uh, we had not had a great start to our season. Uh, we were playing teams that were much older than us, much better than us, physically, uh, in all levels. Finally, we were going to have a game against a team that was more in our age bracket. And I had hopes that maybe we would finally be able to have a competitive game with a chance at winning. Well, when the other team walked out, my hopes definitely started going in the upward direction because they sent five guys out. They were kind of out of shape and doughy looking, and, and during their warm-up, they didn't do very good, and my hopes really started escalating. We were taller, we were fitter, we were making our shots, we were clearly more organized, we had better athletes. This was looking good. Right before the game started, two more players came out. Uh-oh, right? Ringer time. But no, they were little seventh grade guys. They were their guards. And these guys didn't even come up to the chins of my guards, right? And as I watched them, they could not make an outside shot if their life depended upon it. So now I'm really confident that we are finally going to win a game. Tip-off occurs. Our center's like six foot four, right? We win the tip-off, bada-boom, bada-bang, two passes, score the layup, just like we draw it up in practice, and we cheer, phenomenal start to the game. And that is the last good thing that happened in that game. 
Do you remember the cartoon, uh, you know, the uh, Roadrunner and the Coyote? How the Coyote, you know, the Roadrunner would take off running, and before the Coyote could maybe go like five yards down the road, the Roadrunner would lap him again. You remember that, right? That's what those two little guards were. Because we would go to pass the ball, they would steal it, run down, make the layup, and be back playing defense before our kids even got across the half-court line to stop them from scoring in the first place. They were so fast that by the time the first quarter was over, they were 20 points ahead of us, and it was those two little scamps that did it all to us, right? Sometimes things just don't work out the way we expect, right? We've all had it happen to us, right? The whistle blows and it just doesn't work out the way we expect. Life happens, it doesn't happen the way we think it will happen, right? The the, the job that we thought was gonna be great or the job interview that we thought we would get doesn't happen the way we expect. The investment that we make, it doesn't work out the way we think it will work out, right? The relationship that we're in doesn't happen. The ministry that we're involved with at the church doesn't, doesn't happen and work out the way we expect. And it can be disillusioning and discouraging and this is partly what's going on in, this, in these parables. You see the disciples, as I explained last week, they're looking around and they see these huge crowds of people who are following Jesus. Many of them are on the bandwagon, and then others of them are now in full outright opposition to Jesus. And it seems to be one extreme or the other, but very few people who are actually believing and committing to Jesus as a disciple and they're confused. This is not working out the way they expected. What's going on? And as we saw last week in that first parable of the seed and the soils, Jesus gives them the answer. There is a spiritual explanation of what is going on here. You see, with the opening parables of the seed and the soils and all of these kingdom parables, Jesus is resetting the expectations of his disciples. He's helping them to understand the nature and the scope and the trajectory of the kingdom. For, for, for those of us who are in the kingdom, them and us, he's helping us to understand what is our place in the kingdom. What is the kingdom actually going to be like? Not what we think it will be like, not what we hope it will be like. How's it going to work itself out? What's our role in the kingdom? How are we to respond to it? How will it end? That's what these parables are all about. The opening parable, it talked about seeds and soils. Well, this parable talks about seeds and weeds. And there are some great gospel applications that I want us to see this morning. The first of which is this. In this world, there are two opposing kingdoms growing side by side. In this world, according to this parable, Jesus is making the point that there are two opposing kingdoms that are growing side by side. Uh, Dr. David Stern was a, a great Hebrew scholar who pointed out that, that rabbis often use parables to create, a, a, for a technique, to create what we would call a theodicy. A theodicy comes from two Greek words, theo, God, and decay, justify, or righteousness. In other words, it's a, it's a conversation or a discussion centered around the attributes of God and evil in the world. 
And this is something that has, you know, questioned that philosophers have addressed and religions have addressed through the years. It shows up in all kinds of places. Theodicies show up everywhere. You'd be surprised where they show up. Recently, there was a movie that came out, Superman versus Batman. Of all things, why would you want to kill off Batman? But for, for whatever reason, Superman is trying to kill Batman. There's a pivotal scene in this movie where Lex Luthor, right, he employs a theodicy. You see theodicy in its full glory. Take a look at the clip for just a second. Rabbis would employ parables to create theodicies, to explain evil in the world. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody about evil in the world and God? You see, this is an important question. Many people, as they begin to think about evil in the world and God, it leads them to a point of being an agnostic or an atheist. Many of the conversations I have with those who are atheists and agnostics is because of this question of evil and God in the world. And so this parable that Jesus gives here we need to recognize that this is Jesus employing a theodicy. He is answering the question of evil in the world. He's explaining evil and why it's here. And his answer is actually very, very simple. Very simple. He says, listen, here's the way it is. There's the world. And I'm good. I'm the son of man. I'm perfect. I'm God in the flesh. And you know what I'm doing? I'm building a kingdom. I am planting my kingdom. I'm planting you. You're my followers, I'm building my kingdom, I'm planting a good kingdom in this world, but there is an enemy, the devil. He is evil, and he is planting his kingdom right at the same time, right alongside my kingdom. And this good kingdom and this evil kingdom, they are going to grow up together, and they're gonna be intertwined all the way until the very end end. The end. Simple. Now, does that answer every possible question and curiosity you may have about evil in the world? Absolutely not. Okay? Like, well, where does the devil come from? I mean, the Bible kind of hints that maybe he was a fallen angel, but those verses, they're kind of murky. They may not actually be talking about the devil. But even let's just say that they do talk about the devil and he was a fallen angel. Well, then why didn't God just squash him after he rebelled? Why didn't he get rid of him? Why did he allow this to happen? The, the Bible doesn't give us every answer. And so there comes a point, as Calvin said, that you, we as Christians, we cannot go past the revelation of God. We simply have to accept that there are mysteries to God and to faith, and that to go beyond them, it'll drive you nuts, Calvin says. You'll go insane. And let's face it, folks. If God were to give us all the answers that we want, our response would be just further rebellion in all likelihood. Let me give you an illustration. If you want to know, get a better insight as to why there is evil in the world and what God is up to, I'm going to give you a passage. Write this passage down. Go home and read it. Study it. Romans chapter 9, verses 18 to 24. Go home and read that passage. Most Christians, when they read this passage and begin to study, there is something inside of us that hackles, raised on the back of our necks. It is the natural response to even Christians. We don't like the answer God gives to evil and what he's doing. 
We don't even like the answers that he does give us. So if he gives us more answers, what's to say that we just won't rebel even more <laughs> to more revelation? There comes a point where we just have to believe and accept what God says and understand that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And by the way, it should be that way. If we can figure out everything and know everything that God is up to, then we have a God who's really made in our image. He's not God. So this first application is very foundational. It helps us understand what is going on in the world, what we're facing. Similar to last week, that parable was to help us understand what's going on in the hearts of people that we interact with. The second application is much more personal. It comes down to the personal level. I was recently, in, in, in my study building up to this series, I listened to a seminar by uh, Dr. Sandy Wilson. He was a, the longtime pastor of Second Pres in Memphis. He's retired now, but I, I want to tease out something that it, he brought out about this parable and paraphrase it. It's a great application that bears repeating this morning. And it's, and it's basically this, that kingdom children are simultaneously holy in the world, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and holy to God, H-O-L-Y. We are simultaneously holy in the world as we live holy to God. This, this, this parable, you see this expectation. What's going on here? In thir verse 37, Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. You see, in the previous parable of the seed in the soils, the seed was the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, and by extension, the entire word of God, which reveals the truth of God, and it finds different soils. So in the previous parable, the seed was the word, but in this parable, Christians are the good seed. So if, if you are a follower of Christ, a genuine follower of Christ, you are the good seed that this world needs. Jesus has planted us in this fallen and broken world with the full intention that we are going to grow and bring forth fruit. Now, how does this happen? We have been indwelt at the, point, at the point of our salvation. The Bible tells us we are baptized with the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. And as the Spirit conforms us to Christ, as He transforms us and He conforms us to Christ, we, by just that very act of having the fruit of the Spirit beginning to grow in our lives, by having the holiness of God becoming more and more a characteristic of life, as the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ, we will stand out in this dark and sinful and fallen world. We stand out like light against the backdrop of darkness. It's inevitable as that same Spirit humbles us, helps us to see who we were before Christ and the depth of our sin and what we've received through the grace of God and the mercy of God. It humbles us 
It helps us to see that we didn't deserve any of this. And, and our love for Christ and for our Heavenly Father as it grows, and that, that spiritual fruit of humility grows, and the gospel grows inside of us, and we understand how undeserving we are of that mercy that we now benefit from every day. When we, when we look around us and we, we see our neighbor across the street and we see people in our city and we see those across the tracks in our own community or around the world who are beaten down and oppressed and wounded by sin and we see the shambles that ha- happen in their lives because of the full effects of sin, our hearts are broken and we, we're compelled to reach out to them Right? So, the, so the Spirit, as He works in us, we're compa- we, we stand out, and then we end up, because of the work of His grace in our hearts, we want to reach out to people who are still in the grips of the bondage and the slavery of sin. And the same Spirit, as He continues to do this work of the gospel, He fills us with the Word of God and the power of God to the point where not only do we stand out and reach out, we speak out, because we have the words of life. We have received the word of life through the gospel, and we know the answer to the problems that they face. That answer is in one name, Jesus Christ, the name above all names by which all men can be saved. And so this is what he's doing in us His full intention is that we grow up in this way and that we bear fruit as wheat, fully mature. Why? Why is he doing this? Why are we to be holy in the world and holy to God? And and catch that. We're to be holy to God and holy in the world, not holy to God and condemning the world. Not holy to God and judgmental of the world. Not holy to God and throwing stones at the world. Not holy to God and sticking our noses up and castigating the world. Not holy to God and separating ourselves from the world and building walls around ourselves and around our families and around our children, protecting ourselves from the world. No, holy to God and holy in the world. Say that with me, holy to God and holy in the world. I don't think you really believed it, so let's say it one more time. Holy to God and holy in the world. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he plant us right in the middle of a wicked fallen, broken world. Why? (laughs) This will blow your mind. Because Jesus is all about turning weeds that the evil one plants into wheat. See, in Ben's sermon a few weeks ago, he was taking fish, and he was turning them into sheep. (laughs) Right? He takes fish, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what does he turn those fish into? My sheep. But in this parable, what's he going to do? His fear, this world, this community that we're in, it has been planted with all kinds of weeds. 
But Jesus has the last laugh. Because Jesus, before the foundation of the world, has decided that there are people all around this world and in this community that right now, they are weeds, but he is going to do the transformative miracle, and he's going to regenerate them and turn them into something that only he can do, wheat. Praise God. Every one of us, at one point in our life, we were a weed We were children of our father, the devil, Ephesians chapter 2 says, dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus did a work of grace in our lives, and he ripped us up, and he replanted us, no longer as a weed, but as wheat. Only Jesus can do that. And folks, the reason why he has done this to us is because he intends to transform a whole lot more weed into wheat. That's what he's doing. You know, we're in the middle of this process in our church where a team of people, of leaders and volunteer leaders, are doing the work of the session, working with an outside team, Oxano, and we're visioning and seeing what does God want for us in the future. And this is starting to come to a close. And one one of the many areas, but a key area that we are landing in is our conviction, and we've been talking at the session about this, our conviction that our future as a church is very heavily characterized by us as the people of God being ambassadors of Jesus Christ, every single one of us. Every single one of us accepting this call that God has put upon us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We have this high calling that as a church, if we will accept, it, it will transform our church, it will transform our community. We've had great days at our past, but folks, if we will accept this call, our best days as a church are ahead of us. We will see God do things in our church like we've never seen him do before. The, the, the Bible is clear. All this is from God. He says, we have been made new creatures in Jesus Christ. The old has passed away. All has become new. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the, read that last next phrase with me, ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's given us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the, say it with me, message of reconciliation. What a stewardship we've been given And because of this, Paul says, therefore, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How incredible is that? That God 
reconciled us to himself through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous, and now through us, he has planted us in this kingdom. We are growing side by side against a kingdom of darkness, and he is determined to take weeds and transform them into wheat. And how will he do that? He says, I am going to do that through you people who used to be weeds, who have done this incredible work of grace in your life, and I'm going to do it all through you, and the gates of hell itself will not stop it from happening. That's our destiny. That's our calling. Will we as a church embrace it or not? We're embracing it in pockets. And God blesses those pockets. But we see a day where God would bless this church mightily if we as the people of God will humble ourselves and repent and accept this call. That This is why we're here. Planted by Jesus Christ, side by side, wheat next to the weeds, because Jesus is going to convert weeds and turn them into wheat through us. What a calling. We started out this ministry year asking you to consider who is your one? Who is that person in your life? Do you have a person in your life that needs this good news, this ministry of reconciliation? Do you have one? Who is that person? Are they at the top of your prayer list? Church, if there's one thing I would ask of you this morning, would you put that one? And if you don't have one, then ask, put that at the top of your prayer list. God, give me one. May the first thing on our prayer list not be our finances, not be our health, not be the things that are personal to us. May the first thing on our prayer list each day be our one. The person in our life that we most want to see come know Jesus Christ. God will do something great in our church that's the case. There's a final application, right? Not only are these two kingdoms growing up side by side, not only are the kingdom children simultaneously holy in the world and holy to God, there is a final application, and it's a tough one. So put on your seatbelts. But we're not going to flinch from it this morning. Final application is this. All religious facades will ultimately be stripped away and revealed for what they are. Don't miss this in this parable. This is an important application of the gospel. You see, what's going on in this parable is something that would take place in the ancient world. Um, If a neighbor was at odds with another neighbor and it was an enemy, they would go out in the middle of the night and they would sow a particular seed in their field of wheat. It was called darnel. And darnel looked exactly like wheat. It would grow up, and in its earliest stages, you could not tell the difference between the wheat and the darnel. Only near the end, when the wheat would finally begin to bear fruit, would you be able to tell, "Uh uh-oh, we have a problem. We have darnel. And the problem with darnel is that its roots would intertwine with, uh, with the wheat. And if you tried to rip out the darnel, you would destroy the wheat. 
And if you were not aware that you had darnel in your field when you did the harvest, if you didn't get all the darnel out, it would rot and poison your entire crop, and it would ruin it. This was such an issue that the Roman Empire made a law where the punishment was quite severe if you sowed darnel in the fields of your neighbor. So this happened on a decent... Remember, a parable was was where Jesus would take a real-life event and he would draw a spiritual truth from it. And so what you had here was a real issue, a weed It was poisonous and toxic. It looked just like wheat, and you couldn't tell the difference until, uh uh-oh, we have a problem. And what's he getting at here? So here's Jesus planting wheat, us, in his kingdom, in the world, to bring the gospel to the world, and at the same time, an enemy is planting darnel, wheat, or weeds that looks just like the weed. You see, one of the most insidious tactics of the devil is to plant among the wheat Weeds that look like wheat. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? That one of the most insidious lies and tactics of the devil is to convince people that they are wheat when in reality they are a weed. They just look like wheat. For a long period of time until it really matters. And when will it matter? Jesus says it will matter at the harvest. At the end of the age, I will send out my angels. And at that time, I will separate the wheat from all the weeds. The weeds will be gathered together and they will be cast out into eternal punishment. Where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. So this is an extremely pertinent application, an extremely all-important question that Jesus is putting before us. He who has ears to hear, he says, let him hear. In other words, you think about this, guys. Those of you who call yourself my disciples, think about this. Are you wheat? Am I wheat or am I a weed that simply looks like wheat? Am I the real deal planted by Christ in his kingdom or am I a religious person whose soul is in peril? Don't miss the import of this application this morning. How can you know? How do you know? Ultimately, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a disciple, of a believer, to confirm our salvation to us. It's part of his role. He confirms it. That's why it's important to be in the Word, because he uses the Word to confirm our salvation and our inheritance and and everything that is there. Or he uses the word to convict us that we're not wheat. 
This subject is important. The Holy Spirit, this is his ministry. If, if you are a follower of Christ, he will confirm it. But we are to take it seriously. This is why Paul talks about working out our salvation in fear and trembling. We are to give this matter our attention. The Holy Spirit, if he indwells us because we belong to him, he confirms it. If we do not, he can convict us. Help us to have ears that hear and eyes that see. D do you know, almost every year, I mean, just even recently, a dear lady in our church came to me with tears and sharing the fact that after being raised in a Christian home, involved in the ministries of our church, she realized she was not a believer. She was religious, good, she looked like wheat. She was darnel. And the tears down her, coursing down her face, she shared how Christ had opened her eyes and she had given her life to Christ and she had been planted as wheat. Amen. So let me give you some things to pray over, to take to the Holy Spirit in prayer. And please hear my heart. I love you as the people of this church. And I give you these questions not to create unnecessary doubt in the heart and mind of a Christian. I don't want to create confusion in someone who is a believer, but if you are a believer and your faith is established, these questions, the Holy Spirit will confirm in your heart. And if they create questions, good. Let's go there as pastor and member. Let's, let's explore where you're at. So take these types of questions to the Holy Spirit in prayer. Here, the first one's a true-false question. How would you answer this? True or false? Based upon you, how would you answer? Is this true for you or false for you? I have a relationship with God and believe heaven is my eternal home because I am basically a good person and believe in Jesus. Now, for you, with that statement, would you say, yep, that statement is true for me? Or would you say, nope, that statement is not true for me. There's something about that statement that is wrong. Don't tell me out loud your answer. Would you say true or false? Okay, don't say, don't say. Let me just tell you this. If you say true, we need to talk. Okay? Because either your faith has not been deepened enough through discipleship, you're a Christian and your faith, you need to go deeper in your discipleship to understand what's been taking place, or you might be a weed. Second one, what do you really believe about yourself? Are you a good person who sins, or are you a broken sinner without hope apart from from God's grace. Are you a good person who sins, or are you a broken per sinner without hope apart from God's grace? Is the good that is in you solely due to God's grace and His work, or is it because you're just a good person who sins? Next question. What's your response when you see someone who's been grossly affected by sin and sinful choices? Do you move towards them or away from them? 
Are you kind of disgusted by them? Are you kind of, you know, dang, proud that you're not that person? Or are you filled with humility, recognizing you could very easily be that person? Are you moved with, with compassion so that you move towards that person? What's your response when you see somebody whose life is a complete train wreck because of sin? How about the next one? Oh, this, this is a hard one. I almost didn't include this one. This is maybe the most important one. Ugh. Do you justify or rationalize away selective obedience to God's word? We, are, we, we disobey. Every one of us is a sinner. Let's acknowledge that. When you sin, what's your response? When you know the Bible is saying to do X and you do Y, and if you consistently are doing Y, Instead of X, what's your reason? What's your response? How do you justify that? How do you rationalize it? Do you justify or rationalize away selective obedience? I know I should, but I'm doing... This is an important question. Very important question. Remember, the Pharisees were phenomenal, selectively obedient religious people. Much better than most of us, actually. Remember that. Another final question. How important is Jesus to you? The rest of the, some of these parables coming up, which we won't be following, the pearl of great price and the others, are all about when you understand who Jesus is, you would give up everything everything to go get it. If you knew that there was a buried treasure in a field and you didn't have the money for it, you'd hawk everything you owed, everything that you have. You'd, you'd maybe even indenture your children for a little while in order to get the money to go buy that field to get the buried treasure because you can get all that other stuff back because I now have what is most important. And the point of those parables is that buried treasure is Jesus. How important is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he your king? Is he your greatest treasure? Do you love him? Or is he just a theoretical person, a good person that you give lip service to? Who is Jesus to you? Lord Jesus, may you be Lord in the hearts of the people here. May these questions bear fruit. Even this morning, Lord, may there be those who would say, ah, you know what? I am a weed. I might be religious, I might be good on the outside, but I don't know Jesus. I'm not following Jesus. He's not my Lord. He's a good person. I like him, but I have been worshiping and following myself. Lord Jesus, if there's that person in our church this morning, would you convict them right now? A person who is good but not converted, help them to see. Give them eyes to see. We're going to be singing here, and as we stand to sing this morning, I guess in my heart I can't help but wonder if there isn't some here who 
as you think about weeds and wheat, perhaps the Holy Spirit in that quiet voice, maybe a loud voice, is saying, this sermon's for you. You're, you're weed. You're a weed. And so as we sing, I'm going to be standing right over here on the other side of packs and down on the floor. If you know that this morning, hey, this is me. I need to give my life to Christ. Um, come see me. We're going to be standing. We're going to sing. Or we'll be sitting initially. But make your way over and see me. Lord Jesus, bless your word. May it find fertile soil. In your name we pray. Amen.